A graphic novel, a TV show Well, it's not TV, it's HBO And will this thing succeed? And by how much, man? Some might cheer and some might scoff Because it's Damon Lindelof But either way we're off To watch some Watchmen Watching Watchmen Talking Watchmen Analyzing Watchmen And maybe arguing over Welcome to Watchmen Watch. Who watches Watchmen? We watch Watchmen, and you watch Watchmen, and you already watched Watchmen. Now we're going to go ahead and talk about a lot of other Watchmen things. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And we have another special guest for this bonus episode. Very excited to have him here. He is a staff writer for io9, Charles Pulliam Moore. Thanks so much for being here. Hello, hello. I'm here. I'm ready to talk (laughs) with you guys. I'm ready to mix it up. Yeah. Oh, let's mix it up. <laughs> I'm excited to have you on. Uh, I've been really enjoying the recaps that you've been doing for io9, for Watchmen. Uh, you do a lot of great writing for them overall. I may quibble a little bit with you liking Titans as much as you do, but... Here's the thing. I don't like Titans. Here's the thing. Titans, <laughs> Titans has like kind of fallen off the wagon, and I'm like not really into it at this point. Now it's just more of an obligation, and it's like, oh, Titans, you're, you're out here like struggling down the block, and I've committed myself to getting you to the end you're helping titans out you're the, you're the titans uh it's caretaker rough. it's rough torch bear yeah titans end if you will is that a sports thing did i say that right no yeah um, sure why not i don't think okay. so <laughs> uh well let's uh there's two things i want to talk about uh we're recording this on a monday this episode of course goes up on a thursday uh but you beyond the recap you started weaving in an interview you did with nicole cassell who was the director of the first two episodes she's also an executive oh. producer on Watchmen, uh, and the, the title of the article was uh, Watchmen Isn't Being Written by White People, Thank Goodness, which is something yeah. <laughs> that you delved into pretty hard with her. Uh, why Why was this an important thing to hit with her? Why was this an important take? Uh, and what did you take away from the interview based on this? I mean, like, Alex, I feel like that's yeah, it's a rhetorical question. Um, Watchmen, <laughs> is a, <laughs> Watchmen is a black show black show meaning that like it centers characters and the fact that they're black in such a central kind of way that um to not focus on that would be to misunderstand and not really kind of like grasp what the show was actually trying to get at um this is like everyone (laughs) how to put i feel as if there are a lot of people who uh, saw the first episode and thought to themselves like, Oh, they're doing like a race thing. And like, it's very intense, (laughs) but as it's gotten more in, as it's like developed, it has gotten more intense in the sense that it's not necessarily just like the surface level brutality that people have to deal with, but rather the fact that there's a system in which that kind of brutality can exist. And that's what like Watchmen is kind of, kind of trying to get into as much as, you know, um, a comic book show can. And the fact that it's, 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 it's weird because like when you watch so much television, you kind of get into the habit of being like, Oh, like you're not doing this enough, but 
for a comic book show, the fact that it's leaning so heavily into this reality of American society is wild. And so me, as like a black viewer, my concern, just like coming into it, was like, all right, cool. Like, you want to talk about like police brutality and like racism? Great. Uh, have you talked to any black people? And thankfully, <laughs> <laughs> because obviously, like the cops are being framed as like the heroes here, and like, yeah, we all love we all love a nun who beats people up. Like that's fun. Like that's fun. Yeah. It's uh, cool. So that's often ridiculous. encountered. But at the same time, um, Angela Avar is dealing with a lot of. She's just dealing with the kinds of realities that are relatable to a lot of people in a sense that the police exist as an authoritarian presence in people's lives, right? And so the show presenting Angela and her cohort as like the heroes, like that in and of itself is this weird kind of like charged decision. And you, well, as I'm trying to like unpack it right here, like in my little description, it's getting more complicated because like the show itself is like so much. Um, Yeah. And it's funny, like, I feel like everybody came into this not knowing really that uh, it was going to be so much about race and that first mm. uh, scene. And then the first episode, everyone was like, okay, oh, I see they're starting here. And then the second episode, it was like, oh, okay, they're still doing the race thing. And then by the fourth episode where it doubles back on it a little bit and we really touched that opening sequence uh, again, everyone was like, okay, this is actually what the show is fully about. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, uh, it's, it's interesting. We were talking about this a little bit in the recap for the last episode. Just structurally, you were mentioning, Charles, that Angela Abar is the hero, and she's framed as the hero, and that's definitely how it is for the first episode and a half to two episodes or so. Then you flip perspectives to Lori Blake, where she ostensibly mm. becomes the hero. She becomes the protagonist of the show. And what I found so fascinating about the fourth episode that, frankly, I think was... Messy is too strong a word because it's not a messy show. It's a very calculated show, but it's certainly the loosest of the four episodes in my mind. But it keeps them even and it keeps switching back and forth in terms of your loyalties. It definitely muddies up how you feel, at least in my perspective, about Angela Abar as a protagonist. As she seems going further and further down this hole, doing things that are very decidedly not heroic behavior in my mind. I don't know if you have the same perspective. Oh no! It is, no, that's very much the case. But uh, I wanna, I wanna tell on myself here. I don't know that Watchmen wants any of us, or rather, I don't know that Watchmen wants us to see any of its characters as fundamentally heroic. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that they're all fucked up in <laughs> and like profound ways, and the ways in which they're fucked up are all informed by different kinds of trauma. The reason that, like, she was killed by state uh, by Space Junk is, like, such a great episode is because Lori kind of brings in that clear perspective where she's just like, oh, no, right, your parents were murdered, and now you kind of feel like some injustice, and now you want to do some shit, and now, like, I'm in a phone booth with, like, a huge dildo. Like, that's my life. Like, <laughs> these are the life you live. But at the same time, the show is kind of trying to, in my mind... Um, give us like the distinct sense that none of these people are quite 
I'm trying to I'm trying to figure out like a diplomatic way of saying it. None of these people are well adjusted enough to deal with the traumas that they're kind of trying to work through. If that makes any kind of sense, they yeah. understand how to like grasp at it, but it's not something that they can really understand the full scale of, and they can't kind of deal with in that like minute way that would actually lead to any kind of substantive change for them. I also understand that that was not really a good answer to your question, but I lost <laughs> like the thread of where I was going. Like, no, I think that, that. I mean, it makes sense to me because we don't know all of their traumas either because we're sort of coming in the middle and we get to see the forward motion of the story and the, the backwards motion, uh, the sort of at the same time. Yeah. 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 Uh, there was an interesting point that you brought up on Twitter just talking about the inherited trauma, because this is something that Damon Lundelof has talked about quite a bit. This was one of the main thrusts that he wanted to get forward with the show, that uh, people feel the things that are left over from their grandparents. You... I don't think this made it into your recap, but you tweeted quite a bit about the ancestry that shows up in this most in this latest episode, and how that at least in part reflected on your own experience in your own life. Uh, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, I think that it's not, it's not a particularly unique experience to be, um, a black person who only knows what so much about their, their family's history. Um, the thing I was talking about online was mostly about how, um, and my mom spent, you know, a few thousand dollars, and this was before the age of 23 and me, <laughs> um, but, like, spent money, fin- like, trying to figure out where we came from and who we were. Um, and she found a fair, like, a fair amount, of, like, a fair amount of information. And I, as an adult, still don't really know what to make of it, right? Like, I don't know that anyone knows what to make of you trace your family back a couple of generations and they were slaves and they, they were slaves and then they made a life outside of that. Like that in and of itself is such a complex and like broad, beautiful story that really can't be conveyed just in like a, Oh, right. And then they were free. And then they did the <laughs> like, no, that, that's yeah. not, that's not it. There's much more to it. And you you understand that implicitly. And that's what makes um, Angela's moment in the community center so beautiful, where there is the the, the the tree that's coming up and like it's beautiful and just and it's gorgeous. But at the same time, the thing that like hits her is like knowing where her people came from. And for me personally, um uh, I was just party to it as I was a child. And so I didn't really have a full appreciation for just what all going out and looking for my family's history meant for, you know, my family. But looking back on it now, it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you, you want to know, you need to know, not necessarily because it defines who you are, because you want to know where you come from. You want to know where your people come from. Yeah. It's one of the interesting things I think about Angela Abar is that her background, as we touch on even more in this past episode, is even more complicated than it seems at first, 
even mm. though she is presented in that very first scene as, hey, I grew up in Vietnam. She's making the mood cakes. Uh, her <coughs> bakery is called Milk in Hanoi. Uh, all of this stuff, you don't really get a sense of how steep she was in Vietnamese culture until... I think this episode really, and she engages with Lady True. There was, uh, I don't want to repeat the entire article, but there's a really good article I thought uh, by Han Nguyen on Salon that went up today where she talked about the title of the article, if you want to look it up, is In Watchmen, Just Like in Real Life, Feelings About Vietnam Remain Uncertain. Uh, mm. And I saw this popping up a lot on Twitter, probably not at the same level as the Tulsa scene for the first episode. But yeah, yeah. Very specifically, when Angela in Vietnamese, and I'm not going to try to repeat it because I will mangle it, uh, but says, fuck your mother in <laughs> Vietnamese, yeah. people are like, oh, shit. Oh, uh, that's that's what I say. That was one of the first things <laughs> I learned. And Han even writes in the piece, she says, uh, the first Vietnamese phrase that non-Vietnamese kids learned on the playground when I was growing up in Houston was fuck your mm-hmm. mother in Vietnamese. Uh, wow. And it's just kind of... Fascinating to see this show, uh, to Justin, to your point, uh, working on race, working on culture, all of these things in multiple ways, that it's not as concrete as uh, black and white or anything like that. It's a lot of things well, I mean, at the I same think time. That, like, that really speaks to the, uh, the ways in which the show, I think, um, after episode four, is not necessarily, it's, it's not necessarily, it's not a show about Hmm. No, I don't want to say that. I'm trying to (laughs) together. Well, you've seen more. You've seen uh, through episode six, right? So you I have. But the things that I'm trying to say are less about spoiling and more about the things that I think that people should be getting out of this show. Watchmen is a black show. Right. It is a show of black, like about black people and about the ways in which like America has failed and brutalized black people. That's just like that's just a fact. Like that yeah. is so, right? But at the same time, Watchmen is also a show about what legacy means for different people. And I think that in a character like Lady True There's crimes happening. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um in a character like Lady like Lady True provides that like choice chance for the perspective to be like a little bit blown out um ooh, i had a point i had a point and i've lost it All right. well I, yeah i can pick up on that look i think like watchman the comic um was never like oh it's about this specifically because they would always change gears and different issues and bring in other sort of mm-hmm. sides of issues or different like takes and you'd be like oh it's not about that and I, that shifting between different perspectives and issues and takes makes you think harder and makes you think mm-hmm. about the issues that you thought it was and about the new issues because it doesn't match the like expected narrative that you already have right, in your head. Right, right, that's right, why it's great. The show is doing the, uh, the same thing. Yeah. Uh, let's shift gears a little bit. A couple of things we need to get to in the world of Watchmen. Uh, one thing that I wanted to mention up front, we made a big mistake right at the top of their uh, the last episode of the podcast. Totally on Not me. Uh, but I believe I opened up the podcast. We were talking about the title of the show. And I said, well, yep. of course, nobody's reading the book Things Fall Apart at any point in the episode. And immediately somebody sent us a tweet being like, there's literally a scene where Angela Amar goes to Cal and says, what are you reading? And he says, things fall apart. So 
Here's the thing. Ah. I have a question for you. Did yes. everybody did everybody read Things Fall Apart? Because I don't know for whatever reason. Like when we read it, it felt like very like, hey, hey, listen, don't tell your teachers yeah. we're doing this right now. Oh, Kong yeah. he dies at the end, and it's like, okay, okay, cool, great, cool, 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 cool. Yeah, uh, I guess it was out. There. Yeah, I guess it was out there. Uh, I got to be honest. I have not read it. Uh, we just talked about it. I'm sorry, Charles. I'm sorry. What are you Matt. doing? I don't what know. I watch I a lot of TV. And Bill Toast's story as it is, it's a good one. It is. <laughs> well, all right. Well, tell me this. Since you have read it and we were speculating about a little bit of kind of talking around it, what did mm. you take away from the title of the last episode? What did you take away from the fact that Cal is reading Things Fall Apart? Uh, because we've had... A lot of suspicions about what is going on with Cal on this show. So I have been watching this show very much not trying to do the whole, like, ooh, what's the secret? Like, what are you building at? <laughs> <laughs> like, that, that, that's a very um, emotionally exhaustive, exhaustive kind of way to watch TV. But I get it. But Welcome to our I've- podcast. <laughs> yeah. Something that Welcome just, to Damon Lindelof's. <laughs> truly, truly. Just like, ooh, but what's the point? Um, yeah. But something that has recently really kind of grabbed me is this wild idea that Cal is Dr. Manhattan's agent on Earth. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what the fuck? But, like, rather, what the fuck was my initial reaction? But then as my friends who are watching the show just sort of like came at me with their shitty, shitty, shitty theories, which as an, which as an aggregate made a lot more sense. I was like, Oh, 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 but I don't want that to be there. I really don't want that to be the case. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, uh, to your point, it's very hard to speculate about the show. I think I was listening back to the last episode and we kept running to a wall with all of our theories because they just, they haven't given you enough facts at this point to actually put anything together in any sort of reasonable way. Everything is conjecture right now. Everything is just, everything is theory. And the thing that I love about Watchmen is that as theory driven as it is, it doesn't shy away from like shitting on fans. Mm-hmm. The fact that Lori Blake has such an open and oblique disdain for people who love her, that to me is like, that's what I want from superheroes. I want superheroes yeah. like, get the fuck away from me. Why you like this? Ew, stop, yeah. stop, stop. Gross. Like, that's, that's hot. And I, <laughs> yeah, I guess the real frontier in comic book uh, superhero TV is like hating fans, like reverse fan service. But like, yes, yes. Yeah, no, it, it, I mean it seriously. It is, especially in this industry where everyone's just like, "Ooh, if the fans don't love you, you're going to be a failure." A superhero yeah. being like, "Bitch, like I don't give a fuck about the fans. The fans, yeah. Like, yeah. I, uh, 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 it's great. Yeah, yeah. Uh, cool." Uh, the let's move on and talk about PDpedia. Now, this is the thing that they've been putting up right after the show every week. This is some supplementary material. We were speculating a little bit that this stuff is written by Damon Lindelof. I'm, I'm going to throw it out there, and I don't know, Charles, if you have any more information. I think it's written by Jeff Jensen, who is Damon Lindelof's writing partner on this. I don't, I don't know who writes it. I don't know. Oh my God, that's so strange. I feel like it just like falls out of the sky, fully formed. What are you <laughs> yeah, talking about? It's evidence, Alex. It's oh, evidence. right. Yeah, it's actually it's Agent Petey writes it, I think. Uh, exactly. But there are two sure, because Agent Petey is a person who exists in our world. Exactly. Uh, there are two pieces. Petey. What was that, Justin? 
I'm trying to cancel Petey. Oh, hey, Pete, are you <laughs> trying to cancel, cancel Petey? Pete? Nope. Okay. Thanks for chiming in. Uh, we got uh, two <laughs> two pieces of evidence this week, which are definitely going to be Pete's favorite thing because he has been loving this dildo storyline. Uh, so the uh, first one, no, but actually, but actually, but uh, yes. like, can, I, I want to ask you all like an, yeah. like an honest question. <clears throat> you would buy that shit, right? What? Just to have, <laughs> just to have as like an art piece, like in your house. <laughs> so. <laughs> I mean, imagine like, it. Imagine it though, the like balls, the full on suitcase where you open it and it has the glow. And it's like, yeah. hey, guess what I got? I got the deluxe model. So I don't want to. <laughs> To honestly answer your question, I don't want to sell him out. I don't know if he wants his name uh, posted on the podcast. There is a guy who has been listening to the podcast, and I've been chatting with him a bit back and forth on our Twitter account on Watch and Watch uh-huh. One. Uh, he is a 3D printer. He made this very cool 3D Watchman clock that was very nice, and he showed it to me, and we were chatting about how awesome that was. And then he was oh, like, nice. hey, do you want... Whatever it is, I love a good challenge. Is there something you want me to 3D print? And without hesitation, I was like, I, and I did get back, but the first thing I was like, he should make me the Dilto. That's the, oh, obviously yeah. the thing that he should make. He should make the dildo. And I was like, I don't know this guy personally. I can't be make like the request. enormous blue dildo. And eventually we decided he is going to make a clock. And then he uh, hit me back about 10 minutes later. He's like, you know what? Thanks for the schematics for the dildo. I'm going to make the dildo as well. Yeah, so exactly. There He's you like, go. I made so the, the dildo answer- first. I, I made the dildo already. I never told anyone. <laughs> so to answer your question, all Charles, ridicu- yes. All of the ridiculous posts about the dildo are a reflection of the fact that, like, <laughs> there are just, like, too many straight people writing about shit in general. <laughs> nah. like, all right, you guys. It's 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 it. The dildo size in and of itself is not what's special. The fact that it's a fucking coons piece, that's what's interesting about it. Like, that's the thing. Yeah. Well, and it's also like, in the reality of it in the world is that this is the biggest celebrity in the world. And there's just, uh, a, like, if we, who's the biggest celebrity in our world? If there was and just like, hey, I can. never going to be anyone who, like, there's never going to be anyone who, like, like uh, knocks John out of. Lori's mind in that capacity. Never. It's like, it's always going to be him. And the way that Lori is presented in the show, it makes you feel like it's almost like a joke for her, right? Where it's like, hey, right, like, I fucked God. Ha ha, ha ha, ha ha. What does that look like in a sense where you're just like trying to get off though, right? It's ridiculous. There's like, there's a kind of. I can't even like I can't even really verbalize like my thoughts around it. Well, and she's she's left with the sort of the facsimile or the nearest vision of God that she has, and it's this dildo. And I I, I love it as a just a metaphor for like relationships or just like trying to f- being a human where you're like this is as close as I'm ever going to get to what I want. The thing that I love about it though is that I feel as if we are meant to understand that there's nothing about that dildo that says anything about Dr. Manhattan, right? It's all about the way that she has projected what her time and her relationship with him meant. And so, you know, it's outsized and ridiculous and we can all like have our laughs about it, but she's a human the way that the rest of us are. And we sort of have to, 
or rather should, um, just sort of like make our peace with the fact that like, yeah, she fuck up. And this is just how she deals with it now. She. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I like the uh, the puppet show for our audio podcast. That's going to work well. Uh, now, there's a couple of interesting wrinkles, though, with the Pedipedia stuff, where beyond the mm. schematics of the Dr. Manhattan yes. dildo, of note there, the batteries are in the scrotum, in case you were wondering. Um, there's an interview with Laurie from 1995, and yeah. we find out a couple of things there. First of all, with the whole alternate reality of it, she and Dan Dryberg, a.k.a. Night Owl 2, <laughs> were both captured after one last caper together. They had already broke up. Uh, they Ooh. weren't talking to each other for a pretty long period of time, but they got back together to stop. And this was crazy. I could not believe this when I got to this. Yeah. Uh, Timothy McVeigh. And they yeah. stopped Timothy McVeigh from doing the Oklahoma City bombing, and that's where they okay. ended up getting captured. Which, Interesting. Yeah, in my mind, actually makes a lot of sense for the world of Watchmen, where we do... Initially, I was very thrilled by the idea of this, but then I thought, okay, like how Dr. Manhattan you know, stops Viet- wins Vietnam for the United States, this mm. is the same sort of thing where we have this tragedy ultimately doesn't happen because of these people, but in certain ways potentially it becomes worse off of that. Mm. Uh, yeah. and the, the dildo note there is as they're interviewing her, as the FBI is interviewing her, uh, they reveal... She reveals uh, they were wondering what's in her silver case, and she says, "Oh, you know what it is? It's a big fucking glowing blue dildo that'll give you cancer." Uh, and they're like, "No, it's not." And she's like, "She explains Dan actually built the dildo as a final fuck you to her, being like, you 'You're Love totally him. focused on Doctor Manhattan. I'm going to build this for you. You're thinking about him too much, and that's why it's so outsized at the same time because of what he thinks is the amount of space it takes in her brain." Wow! So what a great engineer prank. Yeah. Uh, and ultimately, we, we kind of got the sense of this, but the reason Dan Dreiberg is still in prison is he didn't talk at all. He didn't say anything right. about Timothy McVeigh. He didn't say anything about Eleven Two or anything like that. Meanwhile, Laurie, and the interview cuts off at this point, says... Gave everything up. Yeah, she says, tell your bosses I know about what happened at Eleven Two, which is when the squid dropped on New York, mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately joins the FBI off of that. But given mm-hmm. that new information... And again, I know this is Pete's favorite subject, but uh, Justin, Charles, and Pete will continue to stay silent, I assume. Uh, what, uh, what do you take away from this new piece of information about Dan, about Lori, etc.? Well, it definitely explains a lot of like why she had the pet owl and they talked to her like, oh, you know, you, you could get somebody out of jail. And she was very cold about it. That kind of makes a lot more sense of like, things have happened that we really haven't witnessed and we're kind of putting pieces together a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Justin Charles. Uh, I mean, I love, I thought this was so great. The fact that they go right at like these, uh, the heart of these issues, like the, the bombing, uh, calling it 11 two um, as our, their version of nine 11. And Lori is such like a straight up asshole through this whole interview <laughs> that I just, thought it was such a great little piece of knowledge about her character. It was so good. All right, let's move on and talk about the promo for episode five, Little Fear of Lightning. Now, Charles, you've watched ahead, so 
Feel free to stay, bub. Feel no, free to chime. Cool, Charles. Yeah, play it cool, cool, Charles. So uh, a, I can't really, to be perfect, if I'm being entirely honest with you, I don't remember episode five at all. I, oh wow! I, I don't. I don't. I, I really don't. I have episode six in mind, mm-hmm. um, and the way that episode six makes everything about the series from its jump um, make sense. Not in like a narrative, like oh, like you fit the pieces of the puzzle together. There's a way in which, like by episode six in particular, the the way that the show is like front loaded with like very like aggressive trauma suddenly stops being just like a gross uh, overreach on the show's part, and it becomes like an actually interesting part of the narrative that's being told here and that's like that's exciting Mm -hmm. like it's it's the kind of it's like it's a kind of like uh, it's a kind of like multi-dimensional storytelling that i'm not really accustomed to like seeing it's the kind of thing where like you learn about it in school and people like oh sometimes people do interesting things this way and you (laughs) know (laughs) And you never assume that you're actually going to see them. And to actually see it in practice, you're like, oh, shit. You're, like, doing the thing. And not only are you doing the thing, you're doing it in a very, like, riveting kind of way. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's episode six. That's episode six. Episode six will, like, fuck you up real good. (laughs) Oh, shit. It's an art. I will will say this. It's, 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 um, It's an art house episode. Uh, it's the kind of it's I, I imagine that it's the kind of episode of Watchmen that like Zack Snyder would have watched while he was like getting his like shit together for Watchmen and was like I'm gonna do this and do it better. Uh, yeah. but he didn't do it better right this wow. is very much like a deconstruction not only <clears throat> not only of like Snyder's work but also like of the comic book itself and an exploration of like what the show is trying to get into the thing the reason i like i kind of hate talking about watchmen it's because like i always feel like i'm saying too much and like trying to hype it up too much but it's doing that much and then some in every episode in a way that i don't know that a lot of other shows are really trying to do right now um yeah i mean i think that gets us go ahead justin i was gonna say you're in no danger of hyping up episode five though (laughs) (laughs) well let's uh justin and pete let's turn to you then and talk about some speculation based on the promo what did you take out of that what images did you grab what interested you about episode five first off i gotta say they really took a left turn um i thought after episode four episode five promo was gonna obviously have lube man in there but we did not see any lube man and so I was really that should have been the whole promo what he's Lou doing. Little man appears once and that's his only function. He's just there to be like, "Hey, guess what? This world is weird as shit." And that's <laughs> it. and y'all all have to deal with it. Now, <laughs> now that I've got my thoughts a little bit more together. Lou uh Lou 5. Um episode 5 is it's looking glasses episode, right? Mhm. Yes. Yo. Yo, like it's one of the most like just aesthetically beautiful, but also like narratively fuck, you get how much 
I'm trying to, I'm trying to like put all this like into, into like a proper sentence. I was having a conversation earlier this week about how the thing that makes me love this show the most, um, particularly as it uh, pertains to Ozymandias, I don't really care for Jeremy Irons. Um, oh. oh, no, it's whatever. He's an old man. Uh, oh, ooh. <laughs> an, old, an old man did some old English things in front of English people. Uh, okay. Great, fine. Pretty claimed actor. Yeah, sure. you must love the crown. I mean, hey, listen, the monarchy's kind of fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing about Jeremy Irons—oh no, no, that's not what I want to talk about. Um, Jeremy Irons just like doesn't really do it for fuck. I've lost the entirety of my thread. Fuck, you're talking about looking glass. Looking glass. Looking glass. You you veered. Oh. Just like the show itself, you went from whatever the main narrative was to focusing on <laughs> yeah. Jeremy Irons for a little bit. <laughs> Very much so. He does draw the light. Um, the way that the show gave Looking Glass like this grounded, fully thought out kind of like deep trauma that gives you an understanding of why he, not not just why he's afraid of the squids, the way that most people are in, in the country would be, understandably, but the way that, like, he wraps himself in mirrors. Like, that's brilliant. That's yeah. such good storytelling, I think. Yeah. Um, I'm assuming it, we... Oh, it, does, it does seem like from this promo uh, that it's about it's Looking Glass's episode and it's uh, sort of boosting up the Seventh Cavalry plot, which has been sort of off to the side for a little bit. It yeah. lets you know where he. It lets you know what it is that drives him to be the kind of cop that he is. And I think that in a show like Watchmen, oftentimes at this point in the series, you're like, oh. You've got, like, the black hero cop that you should be rooting for, and then she has her weird white friend. And (laughs) and the assumption is that you should be rooting for them both. But I think that audiences understandably like, no, why? Like, no. And this show, it doesn't, it's not that it disabuses you of being able to see him as, like, a potentially problematic person but it makes his relationship to what's going on in Tulsa like that much more intense. It's not that it's not just that he's from Tulsa. He was there. He was like, oh, he was shit. there when it happened. Oh and shit. Gets in like, and the way that the show gets like into it is so brilliant and brilliant in a way that is made more intense by the fact that Zack Snyder just didn't want to talk about it at all. <laughs> nah. Yeah. Uh, well, let's, uh, before we run out of time here, I do want to get to some Twitter questions and other questions that folks sent us. Uh, they do get into some wild speculation here. Uh, but to Pete's point, this is actually from Bandito on our Patreon Slack. Really, the only yeah. question is, who is Lube Man? Petey is yeah. pretty skinny. Uh, that was the popular theory that I saw online after the episode, that it was Agent PD. We talked about that a little bit, but that seems... The fact that the lube man all on his back is so fucked up. I'm like, bro, like, leave with your face. The lube would not... The lube wouldn't have helped him out there. No. He has a straight-up back. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Do you have any further theories about lube man, Justin, Pete? Uh, I mean, 
I don't. I tend to think that it, uh, like Charles is saying, I think we saw Lube Man. We never see Lube Man again <laughs> until we buy the action figure, which comes out uh, Christmas time. What I would love <laughs> is if he comes back one more time. It's the last shot of the episode when there everybody is like, "Well, we sure did a Watchman," and they walk off screen, and then Lube Man just slides along the bottom <laughs> of the screen. That would be Amazing. great. I would love that. Yeah, uh, this is from Tech One Three Eight Nine on Twitter. We assume Adrian is on Earth, but is he? We assume Dr. Manhattan is on Mars, but is he? The things we think we know probably aren't even close to the truth. Um, I I think we talked about this other day on the podcast. I don't think we think Adrian is on Earth at this point, right? No. I think he's fully on Mars. Um, I agree. I think that Dr. Manhattan is on Earth. Yeah, I also agree because I've launched a lot of things, you know, in catapults, and at no point do they just disappear when they hit a certain area. So he's definitely not on Earth. Can you imagine, though, if, like, Dr. Manhattan was just, like, chilling out on Mars? Like, why are you throwing this bullshit up here? I'm trying to do more. Yeah, Yeah, that's Uh, great. He's just judging him. Like, dude, you're weird. It's with you, dude. Uh, this is from Aquamarine uh, YG on Twitter. A bunch of questions here. Is Vite on Mars? What crashed at the farmhouse? Where was Will before he returned? Who is the silver guy? Uh, we covered silver guy a little bit. That's Lube Man. Um, and we talked just now about is Vite on Mars. Uh, let's talk about what crashed at the farmhouse, because this is an interesting thing, I thought. Um, certainly my assumption, the way that it was cut together, and I found a bunch of recappers thought this as well online, is that you had that shot going from the scene at the Clark farm with Lady True, where it fades into Tulsa. So my assumption was, thing falls from the sky, she builds over that. That's what we're seeing now. This happened in the past. But after a bunch of back and forth, Alan Seppenwall, very trustworthy journalist, on Twitter said... I am told by a very reliable source that the scene on the farm takes place on the same night as Judd's funeral. Yeah. Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kind of blew me away a little bit. Uh, what was your take on it, Charles? I've always assumed that everything that we see that isn't being conveyed like via story is happening in real time. Mm-hmm. Um, like Lady True saw some shit fall from the sky. She said, yes, bet, mine, right now. Come on. Come on now. Come on. Yeah, I'm I bought your house. Now run, run, get the thing. <laughs> um, I don't, obviously, I, I don't think it's Manhattan. I don't think it has anything to do with him. I think it is space. I think it is space junk. Mm-hmm. I think it is the kind of space junk that has the potential to create like a tectonic cultural shift in the world. But it's not necessarily something I don't think I don't think that it's something that like Lady True understands like on its face. And I don't think that it has anything to do with Dr. Manhattan. I do think that it's like a pure coincidence and it's just something that she can capitalize on because that's what we've seen her like. That's what her power is. Right. Like she was at the right place at the right time. when Ozymandias, you know, was exposed being a fraud and like date industries had to be like sold. And she was there for it. And, like, that's the kind of thing that she brings to the table. Whether or not she's able to actually leverage, you know, whatever she found um, into any kind of, like, discernible business interest, like, I I would hope so. But if it did not turn out to be that way, I'd be fine with it. 
Well, and I think I, I, the idea that it's Vite or uh, Dr. Manhattan feels wrong to me because why would she need to buy the farm when mm-hmm. those people could just get out of the ship or whatever mm-hmm. and just go do their thing? So it has to me, it has to be an object that she wanted to own because it fell to Earth. Uh, on her now purchased land. So, uh, yeah. Do you think it might just, like, be him? Like his body? Yeah, just like him just being like, uh, I can't. (laughs) Yeah, I can't. Uh, Uh, I think uh, Dr. Manhattan figured out if he makes himself certain uh, tall enough, you know, he can jerk off and then shoot Earth from Mars. So that's what it is. (laughs) Jesus, Pete. I I don't know why you're uncomfortable with a big blue dildo and talking about that at all, but you're like, yeah, Dr. Manhattan is coming so hard as flying from Mars to Earth. But, I mean, he would be. He would. Yeah. (laughs) Like, beating it off. Like, the Earth would constantly be, like, besieged by just, like, cosmic loads that were, like, tearing holes (laughs) through continents. It would be terrible. Mm. This is, I've explained it to my kids this way. That's where rain comes from. Uh, What, too much? Too much? A little too much, I think. I like that this is, I like that, I didn't know that you had kids, but I'm glad that this is how I've learned. (laughs) (laughs) That's how he explains it. That's how he told his parents. Yes. Uh, Two other quick tweets. Uh, This, uh, what is from at Rockdale underscore Tiger on Twitter. Pretty sure Vite is trapped on that island from Lost. He's just got to turn the wheel. Uh, Funny joke, uh, though I did see people pointing out that the second to last episode of Lost, which told the story of the man in black and Jacob on the island, we are we are seeing some shades of that. Uh, other people pointed out that the fourth episode of Lost is the one that revealed that Locke was originally in a wheelchair. We almost get a reverse of that in this fourth episode of Watchmen, mm-hmm. uh, where Will gets out of a wheelchair. <laughs> No, but shit. Alex, can you just never say Jacob from Lost? On this <laughs> like, you know, like, we don't have to. We don't. We don't have to talk about it. Like, yeah, that's it. We don't. <laughs> have, let's, even if they say, if there's a line in the episode where it's like, oh, it's sort of like you're like Jacob from Lost. I still don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll just never bring it up again. Uh, this is the last one uh, from Tracy Todd on Twitter. I think Lady True actually uncovered the entire scheme that Adrian Veidt concocted in the '80s. Blackmail him into exile on Mars and now wants to create her own version of Manhattan's clock castle from the book to lure Dr. Manhattan back to Earth and kill him. Wow. Uh, that's a lot of stuff in one tweet. Uh, I, mean, I Yeah, I, I don't that's mind parts of this, but I feel like if I mean, her, she would have had to have been a child. Yeah. It, like a full child. Like, and hey, hey, we all love villainous children, but that's, <laughs> that's Alex not. made a couple of them. I did, I did. It's true. Uh, it's like not the kind of story Watchmen is. Yeah, it also feels like whatever the plan is, just doing, just building it all around Dr. Manhattan or killing Dr. Manhattan or luring him or anything like yeah. that, that feels too small to me. Yeah. For yeah, wherever yeah. they're going. I, since I, I deeply, deeply hope that um, like I'm literally working on a thing right now about Dr. Manhattan's penis as a <laughs> cultural object mm. because I think that the discourse that exists around it is more interesting than the dick itself. I like most dicks. Hey, hey, oh, discussion. Oh. It's all about the hype. It's all about the hype. I don't, I don't, I don't, I, uh, I'm using uh, Manhattan's dick as uh, <laughs> you know, he's, he's just a reflection of who he is as a person. I don't care. Like, oh, you're, oh, you, you don't feel any kind of connection to humanity. Then go away. 
you don't really have anything. There's nothing that you could potentially say that would make you as a character interesting to me or have anything substantive to say. That's sort of where like I'm at in my relationship to Watchmen. And I think that the way that the show has really sort of illustrated how other characters do have so much more to say even Ozymandias and his, like, weird, boring, just like, oh, Mr. Jeffries, I want to see you do theater. Whatever. It's dumb, but he has something to say. Lori is obviously the best example, where she's like, I was so much more of a complex person who had so much more depth before, and now here it, is, like, here it all is, like, laid out. I don't know what that looks like for John. I don't really know what more he has to offer. Oh, you can see the future and do math real good. Cool. Great. Okay. Yeah, we've touched on this a little bit on the podcast where we talked about him. And uh, again, Damon Lindelof has talked a little bit about how he felt like the second you bring in Dr. Manhattan, just the show changes. And Mm. I appreciate that. The only way I could see you bring in Dr. Manhattan again when we were talking about speculation is if Dr. Manhattan is somebody else. The way that Cal lays it out, I believe, in the second episode where he says, no, Dr. Manhattan can't be other people. That's not part of his powers. Seems Are very you one of those people who believes that Cal might low-key be Dr. Manhattan? I spend a lot of time thinking everybody on the show might be Dr. Manhattan. My, my major thought right now is I think Topher might be Dr. Manhattan, but I don't Y'all have... Y'all have read it too much. He's spending too much time on Reddit. Dr. Manhattan is on Mars, being like, why are you humans like this? Why are you doing this? Why? No, Dr. Manhattan's on Reddit. That's what he <laughs> All right. Uh, He's trying we, to learn how to be a human. Before we wrap up here, Charles, plug some of your stuff. Where should people check you out? Um, people should look for me on the only social media that I want them to find me on. Charles Pulliam on Twitter. Uh, that's where I'm at. Yeah. Cool. Mysterious. And every day on io9, pieces go up. It's true. You can find my blogs. You can find my musings. You can um, be caught up on all of the difficult feelings that I'm having about things that people should just consider as entertainment. And yet here I am having (laughs) deep, deep thoughts. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on. A couple of things before we do wrap up here. If you'd like to support the show, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 8 p.m. at the People's Improv Theater Loft in New York. Come on by and we will chat with you about Watchmen. Also, we will be back with the regular recap episode of the show Sunday night right afterwards. Uh, You can check that out on iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice. Also, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and more. You can check us out on Twitter, Watchmen Watch 1, Instagram, and Facebook at Watchmen Watch Podcast. And remember, we taped this podcast 35 minutes ago. And every comment is a god blowing his load. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Oh. <laughs>